This is Joanna Litt's story from November 12th, 2018. My husband took his life, our life, on Sunday, October 14th, one month to the day before our 10-year wedding anniversary. We had been planning a trip for over a year in anticipation of celebrating. And now he's gone. He saw no other choice or path. I never thought in a million years that he could or would do that. And I keep going back to one thought. Big Law killed my husband. Welcome to the first episode of Breaking the Law. Thank you for joining us for this first step on our journey. This podcast is about the legal industry and how it's breaking people. Because the traditional approach to law is broken. And as a result, it's time to break free from the way things have always been done. In this podcast, we'll focus heavily on those three topics. We'll talk a lot about wellness, mental health, family, traditional law versus new law or better law versus big law, culture, business model, technology, change, leadership, diversity, inclusion, equity, office politics, toxic cultures, ethics, and a whole host of other topics that impact these subjects. This podcast will probably be one of the most will probably be of most interest to those in the law, but we hope that it will be also be helpful to our friends in other professions and lines of work. So much of what is broken about the law is also broken about work in other industries as well. Uh, and now I'd like to introduce our guest host today, uh, Ashlyn Linscog. Hi, hello. Yes, thank you uh, for having me. Um, it's such a powerful topic, and I'm so pleased at the opportunity to talk about it um, and break it down. Um, like Sam said, my name is Ashlyn Linscog. I am an attorney um, and recovering stickler for the for the rules and the way things have always been done. Um, so I'm excited at the opportunity again to work through what a transition like that. Um, has done for me and hopefully um, have impact on others as well. Thanks for having me, Sam. Yeah. Uh, and my name is Sam Foreman. Uh, I'm also an attorney, uh, formerly at uh, law firms that follow more of a traditional law firm model. Um, this is a topic that's really impacted my life personally, and I've seen it impact a lot of other folks and really excited to be part of helping tell this story. Um, and now, Ashlyn, you've got, I think, our first topic today. Yeah, yep. so um, to get started, talking with our first point, um, we're going to talk about how the law is breaking people. And I think uh, the best way to do that is to circle back um, on Joanna's lit story um, about her husband. And we'll post a link to this story. It's from the American Lawyer. Um, we'll post a link to the full story uh, in the show notes for those that want to read the uh, the extended version. So in her letter, Joanna continues, Gabe and I worked hard at our marriage. Marriage isn't easy, and I would never pretend it was. Our most serious problem revolved around Gabe's struggle with binge drinking. It wasn't on a daily basis, but maybe three or four times a year, there would be some event or function where he drank too much. I didn't have much compassion or realize his drinking was masking a deeper pain, and I made him feel very guilty. As a result, he would stop drinking for a month or two, be okay for a while, but then there'd be a lapse. He did see someone professionally a few times, but that was it. In his way, he was working on it, and that meant a lot to me, so we stayed together. Then there were a series of ill-fated events at work, and the Los Angeles bankruptcy group Gabe had so deeply cherished and relied on for support had fallen apart. Gabe started working on the mattress firm case, a huge bankruptcy. It was a little over a month away from filing a Chapter 11 petition, and I had never seen him so stressed out and anxious. He was trying not to burden me with what was going on, but he wasn't sleeping. I hadn't seen him smile in weeks, and most everything he said was negative. The Sunday before leaving to file in Delaware, he spent all day at the office. When I finally called him that evening, it was clear he was in distress and had been working himself to exhaustion. He told me his body was failing him. I picked him up and we decided he should go to the emergency room. He actually said to me on the way there, you know, if we go, this is the end of my career. I've never felt so helpless in my life. I didn't know whom to reach out to or to tell my husband was in crisis. During this terrible spiral, 
I told him to quit. I told him we could sell our beautiful house, move to Mammoth, our happy place, and snowboard all winter, and then figure it out. He said he couldn't quit in the middle of a case. The irony is not lost on me that he found it easier to kill himself. Though it's only the beginning stages of trying to figure out why this happened, I came across a concept, maladaptive perfectionism, that combines unrealistic standards of achievement with hypercriticism of failing to meet them. Gabe displayed most, if not all, of the characteristics. Simply put, he would rather die than live with the consequences of people thinking he was a failure. He said he felt like a phony who had everyone fooled about his abilities as a lawyer and thought after this case was over, he was going to be fired, despite having won honors for his work. On the morning he killed himself, he said he got an email and had to go into work to put something together. I wanted to ask if I could go with him and just sit there, but instead I simply offered to make him a sandwich for lunch. And without any hesitation, he said, no, baby, I'll be fine. I won't be long. I'll be haunted by those words forever. And then he left, taking his gun with him, and shot himself in the head in the sterile, concrete parking structure of his high-rise office building. I heard story after story about Gabe's encouraging nature and how he made people feel like they could succeed at anything they put their mind to. One close colleague said she wished Gabe had his own Gabe. Gabe lived his life with integrity and treated those around him with sincerity, kindness, and a genuine sense of presence. I know Big Law didn't directly kill my husband because he had a deep hereditary mental health disorder and lacked essential coping mechanisms, but these influences, coupled with a high-pressure job and a culture where it's shameful to ask for help, shameful to be vulnerable, and shameful not to be perfect, created a perfect storm. Ooh, man. I know the first time I read through this article, I mean, it just, it just breaks your heart. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, I think it's really easy as attorneys to get used to the pressure to just become kind of numb to what's going on and just feeling like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be, or the problem is with me. And I mean, it's just, I think it's important to take a moment and slow down and just be reminded of the humanity of what's going on. Yeah, I, I think maybe this isn't unique to our industry and, and is in other industries as well, but it's almost like burnout or the high levels of stress is a badge of honor in what mm -hmm. we do in that yeah. we're the best ones are the, the ones that are spread the most thin and the best ones are the ones that are giving, you know, 150%. And um, it can be so tough to walk yourself back and think is – can I serve myself or my clients or whomever in this when I'm giving as much as I'm giving or feeling how I'm feeling? It's 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 really difficult to get yourself when when you're like, you know, that story where Gabe is it's get it's really hard to pull yourself out of that cycle um, and that culture. It can be really tough for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I think so much of it just to echo what you said about how that workaholic ideal is glorified and and that really becomes the pinnacle of achievement is it just drains so much um uh, margin out of people's lives they don't have anything left to kind of take that step back and go like oh hey you know there's there's something going on here there's something wrong i need a break you know i need help um, and the people around them are in a similar position because they're overtaxed as well. They're overextended. And so they don't have the margin to go like, oh, hey, maybe Gabe is really having a hard time because, you know, as this, as this um, story talked about, his whole team's been depleted and there's so many things going on. There's so much pressure on him. I should probably go check in on him. And maybe people did that in this case. I don't want to downplay the, the details that aren't in there, but um, – I think that so much of the missed opportunity where we're at right now is the design of what we want and um, in legal careers. And a lot of it, I think, centers around, um, man, just draining everything that we can out of um, every day and you know, sacrificing it on the altar of the, bill, the almighty billable hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially yeah, when we talk about the billable hour, right, mm -hmm. uh, we're in a profession or an industry where our time is what we have to give. And our mm -hmm. uh, it, it, 
it our time and our experience levels and um that that has been equated with where our value is and that mm-hmm. when we narrow it down just to the only value we have is production or if we're producing mm-hmm. then uh, yeah coupled with the need to be in control uh which you know is a personality type that can be common uh in lawyers um in <laughs> the perfectionist what? and uh the need to prove how uh smart yeah. and amazing we are um, which we are for the record totally completely the um best. everybody says so yeah. people love lawyers they're their favorite yeah. for We're sure beloved by all go on <laughs> there's not a single yeah. joke about us out there really not that are true anyway yeah. um but yeah i mean <clears throat> and it's bigger than gabe right it's not mm-hmm. just gabe that is right. it, and his family that is experiencing this it is it is an industry-wide worldwide mm-hmm. you know but especially in this industry um happening to all of us happening to at every level for sure um let's talk about some of the statistics and i think gabe's story and joanna's story um illustrates so well i mean a number of the things that have been brought to light over the last couple of years through some some really uh, excellent research that's been done when it comes to mental health and substance abuse um because here you had both right He had, you know, likely these mental challenges, these these mental disorders that were starting to take hold, and he had other things that were going on with with drinking and those challenges. Um, uh, but do you want to talk a little bit about some of those statistics that um, I think it was the uh, Lawyer Wellbeing Report um, from the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing, which will also just assume if we reference a resource, it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> Um, one, I think it's great that we have a task force on lawyer mm-hmm. well-being. I think that at least goes to show that we're trying to make progress um, and, and trying to identify these things that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, statistically, 21 to 36 percent of lawyers qualify as problem drinkers. 28 um, percent struggle with some level of depression. 19 um, percent with anxiety and 23 percent reporting stress, although I don't know how that number is not higher. This is an insanely stressful career. Um, I often feel like, you know, we take on, and it is part of our responsibilities, but we take on the stress of all of our clients and Mm -hmm. take it on so that we can solve it for them. And that alone is exhausting. Um, But I think those statistics are impactful when we hear them like that. Our industry, the lawyers are clearly struggling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, and I'm wondering if some of these are, are overlapping numbers as well. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think our industry hides really well. Um, and I think to, I'm going to reread it here. I love the way Joanna put it. Love probably isn't the right word, but I thought she captured it really, really well. in that last part that you read where these, where she talked about the influences of his mental health, um, and lack of coping mechanisms. And then these influences coupled with a high pressure job and a culture where it's shameful to ask for help, shameful to be vulnerable, and shameful not to be perfect, created a perfect storm. And I was like, man, like that just that just hit me so hard because I think it's so true. And I think it's what we as lawyers bring to the table often is, is you know, our success is equated with our ability to uh, often get people to trust us. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've confused um, the image of perfection with being the means of gaining trust with folks. And I think maybe that was true once, but I don't think that that's the case anymore, or at least it's not the case with many people. I think people in 2023 are equally interested or perhaps more interested in connecting with people through authenticity, mm-hmm. um, and really understanding where they're at, because I don't think anybody expects it's like selling something that nobody wants to buy because you think they want to buy it from you, yeah. which I've also never done. Um, <laughs> but, but truly, I think it's because we've convinced ourselves as a profession that no one will hire me if they knew that I am not perfect yep. or that I don't know everything. Um, and I think that that's a sobering reality. I think you're totally right. Um, having come from... Um, you know, the sort of law firm culture, even at a law firm that is 
you know, progressive and in, in, tr- in making strides to do all of the right things, the overarching pressure to make sure you have all of the answers and to not let mm-hmm. your clients know that you may not know everything um, or to, you know, be all of the things that they may need in that exact moment is so much. And I think lawyers who, you know, like you and I, who maybe have taken a different approach um, with our clients, I mean, my clients know right off the bat, I don't know everything. Uh, and and I think that that both relieves me of the pressure of having to know it all and them mm-hmm. um, of the pressure of, of being nervous to talk to me. Who wants to talk to a know-it-all anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Only people who are using Google. Uh, <laughs> they can be themselves uh, if I can yeah. be myself. And I think you're right. I think the profession has built on the idea that um, if, you ha- if you're talking to a lawyer, they have the answers to all your problems and they've mm-hmm. memorized all the laws and they know exactly what to do next. Um, and I think, you know, that is probably why we have this other statistic here that a 2023 study reported that attorneys are twice is mm-hmm. likely, twice as likely as other working U.S. adults to have suicidal thoughts. That's, that's staggering. Just, that's just nuts. I mean, I think if you ask the average person if they would like to trade places with the lifestyle of a lawyer, I think a lot of people would probably say yes. And I think that that's because they see, you know, they see what's portrayed on TV, which is completely realistic. We'll have a post-episode recap on that. Right. That's how um, I practice law. Yeah. 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 I can file a patent and settle a divorce case in the same day because <laughs> that's realistic. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, but no, I think it's, it's uh, in part because we're, we're as attorneys frequently not living authentically. Um, we're not living um, with the authenticity that frankly we expect from many other people that we interact with. And I think that the pressure of continuing to present ourselves further reinforces the imposter syndrome that so many attorneys carry around. I mean, you hear it. I mean, I just reading this article, yeah, reading Joanna's words here and and some of the things that Gabe struggled with. It was like, man, I see that shadow in me, too. Yep. You know, um, and just it's just it, the I think the main point being is that. As attorneys, over the decades and over the centuries, our profession has created so much of um, the structure that that puts us in this position. Um, but we are we are not only part of what has created this, but we're also part of the solution. And I think that that's what what gives me so much hope. Um, but I'd like to hear a little bit more, and I'd like our our um, listeners and viewers. Hopefully, you're a listener and a viewer. Please make sure that you share, like, comment, whatever. Somebody will read the comments. Um, I will read the comments. Um, but if you're mean to me, uh, trust me, I, I will have a, uh, I will have a polite response for you. I promise. It'll be a meme. You won't you won't understand it. It'll be it'll be something else. <laughs> um, but I'd love to hear more about your story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's interesting because when I was reading um, Joanna's words, you know, she, he says to her when he's getting ready to go to the emergency room, he says, you know, if we go, uh, this is the end of my career. And I relate so much to that um, in a way and, and sort of how I got here um, or in, in the place that I am is for, I was fortunate in my life that I have a really great partner who um, served in the military. So we've spent a lot of time together in therapy and working with therapists and Mm -hmm. um, counseling. And so we had developed prior to me entering the legal field, a lot of those coping skills, those check-in abilities, those mechanisms in which we could check in on each other. Um, But when I started practicing law um, and I selected a a law firm that um, I really respect um, and um, I instantly felt like I didn't fit in and not because um, I anyone was telling me that I didn't. I just constantly felt like I wasn't doing enough or I wasn't put together enough and I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't know all of the rules and all of the laws. And I spent years beating myself up. No matter how many hours I was billing, it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and not at anyone's direction, just at my, the, the, my own sense of what I thought I needed to do uh, to be a successful lawyer and what that looked like and what I saw the lawyers around me giving um, to be successful. And um, one day I realized that it wasn't sustainable and I had some help with my husband and some people pointing out that, you know, I don't even recognize 
who you are. I don't know who this person is and uh, I don't think that you're okay. And then um, like a lot of people, I experienced COVID on a variety of ways mm-hmm. and uh, was at home and really started, I spent a year uh, finding out who I was in the practice of law, what that what that felt like. And then when I went back to work, um, you know, you talk about being authentic. I made a commitment to be my most authentic self um, and it was terrifying and sometimes very difficult, but I really wanted to be true to who I was. So I, and this is going to sound silly to a lot of people and very small, but you know, I, when I wanted to dye my hair pink, I did. And when I wanted to get more tattoos, I did. And when I wanted to wear my nose ring in a law firm, I did. And you know, I had to be mindful of whether I was going to court or, or who I was meeting, but I really, really leaned into being myself, being myself with my clients, admitting when I didn't know something, being vulnerable when I made a mistake. And uh, that was hard, but um, it became important to me. And that's when I realized that it wasn't just enough to fix myself uh, and not allow the law to break me, uh, but that the practice of law at a um, large firm for me was broken. Um, So that's sort of what led me to the decision to step aside and sort of try to create something for myself um, and for my clients and for the industry that um, was different and, you know, a different way to do it. So that's how my baby law firm was born. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, man, that's powerful. That's powerful. I love it. I love it. Um, I mean, especially choosing to live with authenticity and just beginning to be honest with yourself. Yeah, it's not um, easy to do that. No, no. <laughs> and I think um, I'd be curious to know, like, particularly, it was one of the things that made it challenging is, did you see a lot of examples either at your own firm or other firms that have a similar model? Did you see other people, you know, that kind of generation ahead of you living with authenticity? Or did you see everybody's following the same scorecard, wearing the suit and tie, you know, the billable hour is, you know, the goal. Um, yeah, it was a lot of copy and paste. Um, and it, I think, um, in my experience, things were moving mm-hmm. and there was, there was for sure an effort to allow individuality, um, you know, more so than maybe in other towns or cities or wherever other people mm-hmm. are practicing law. But, um, it, it wasn't fast enough for me mm-hmm. and it it you know wasn't going to work for me but i think the problem is is that we do what we know um for because that's where we're comfortable and in this industry it's been done the same way mm-hmm. for so long by the, right and you have to be a certain type of person i think i heard all the time in law school oh i wouldn't expect you to go to law school mm-hmm. and i'm like well what about me doesn't scream lawyer and apparently a lot of things. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think it, it matters. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What about you? What What do you think? What brought you to this place of enlightenment? Yeah. So I, I think my story is a little different. I mean, I think it started very similarly. It started at other, you know, very, very well res- respected, very traditional type model um, law firms. Uh, here in our community with just filled with honestly very lovely people very very smart folks but the same kind of model and i think also you know people who at varying times i had i think i had some experiences where people would would you know kind of share that that vulnerability on occasion but it didn't feel like there was a lot of it um, and maybe I just missed it. Maybe I was so busy and so blinders on, so committed to, you know, I got to go climb the hill, right? And the mm-hmm. hill is, you know, the hero's journey to the top of Workaholic Mountain, you know? Yes. And it's a new board game that we'll be mm-hmm. hawking here soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Workaholic Mountain. <laughs> the, um, uh, but I don't remember anybody coming coming to me and saying, hey, I want to tell you about the time that, you know, early in my career, I almost had a mental breakdown. Yeah. Or I did have a mental breakdown. Yes. And here's how I handle it. And you might run into something else like that when when you're a young attorney. It, it felt like when people had failings or they stumbled along the way, it was either hush-hush or it was shame. It was the shame culture. Um, people protect the firm through the image of perfection or the attempt at the image of perfection. And, and I think that's such a dangerous dynamic. But but I so I started off in those firms. I got to a point where, 
you know, my business was growing like crazy. And so I'm like, okay, I, you know, I need to do something different than where I'm at. Cause I'm just literally, it's breaking me because I'm working so much. I didn't have enough help. Um, and so ultimately we made a decision of like, Hey, let's go start our own firm. And, you know, we think we'll be able to get the help that we need with, you know, additional people on our team doing something else outside of, outside of this. And so I did that, but I don't know that I really changed any of my habits. And I think that's, um, a really good illustration of something that we'll talk about more is it's not just the size of the firm. It's not about big law versus small law or anything else. It's truly about what are those decisions? What is that culture? What is that business model? What are those choices that people make? And for me, it was continuing to choose through a variety of reasons and drivers and pressures, you know, a lot of the same things that the traditional law model has always preached. And continuing to buy into those. And I reached a point, I remember where I was just, I mean, you described it so well earlier of like my wife saying to me like, Hey, I don't recognize you anymore. And, um, man, that was hard. She's like, I don't know who you are. Like, like who, who is this version of you that you've become? Because my mental health had gotten so into such a low place. And again, COVID, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, um, you know, silver linings of COVID is it really showed a lot of us who we really are. Yep. Um, and, but what really got for me the breaking point was, and I'll never forget it. I can still tell you the chair I was sitting in, uh, in the office. I was working on stuff, stressing about something. And I got a call from my oldest and this is in probably March or April of 2021. Um, and at the time he would have been like three or four, like this isn't a kid who can handle a phone. Right. But he was the one who was on the phone and he was like, daddy help. Yeah. And <clears throat> and I went home and, uh, my wife who was pregnant with our, um, our second child was at home, just kind of unresponsive on the bed. Hmm. How terrifying to all of you. And I, I just basically froze. Like I felt helpless and overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't like, like I just felt worthless. And I think for most of that interaction I was, and, um, you know, was able to call my sister who's a nurse and she's like, you need to call an ambulance. And so called, called an ambulance and by the grace of God, everything, um, man, everything worked out okay. And my wife's doing fine. And our, we just celebrated our youngest, um, you know, second birthday, uh, two days ago. Um, and just, just thinking about like all the decisions, all those little compromises that had become long-term habits, those yep. short-term justifications that became long-term habits yep. um, that had led to that moment where I was in such a place where I hadn't um, been as attentive to my wife's health during that pregnancy as I should have. Maybe there was something else I could have done that would have put her in a better position of health and wellness. But then when we were in a moment of crisis and she needed me, I was completely unprepared Yeah. Um, and just felt completely <laughs> helpless. Um, but, you know, that was really a catalytic event for me. I knew when I started the firm, which was before that point, that we wanted to have a different kind of thing. Um, but I think until that moment, it was as much theory and it started, the progression started, but that was the event that I'll always remember, um, as being such a critical moment for me. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people can relate to having an experience, uh, that changes their perspective on their time, energy, and the value of Mm -hmm. where they're spending their focus. And, um, yeah, that's it's powerful and um, you know meaningful for your family to be able to experience your growth through that and and know what you know now. I think that's what at least I tell myself when my children say, "Mom, why are you always on your computer?" And I'm like, "This is a learning moment for all of us children." <laughs> okay, hang with me. I love it. I love it. I love it. No, that's great. That's great. I think the next thing we want to talk about. I mean, we've talked here about. 
um, how the law is breaking people. Um, and, and that's a topic that over the course of this, of this podcast, we'll get into more detail on. Um, but, but the, the impacts that the law has on people are very sobering. Um, but it's not enough to just go, okay, there's a, there's a mental health, um, crisis, there's a substance abuse crisis, there's, um, all of these challenges. I think it's important to ask the question why, and where does that come from? And so that's kind of on our second topic, which is talking about how the law is broken, um, and more specifically, the traditional approach to law is broken. And so here, um, want to talk about some key concepts um, that we'll have posted on, um, you know, the show notes, but then also on on some other page so that folks can refer back to it. That so that when we're using particular terminology, we're kind of coming from a similar basis on it. So I think that's that's really important. Um, when we're talking about the law, and we say the law is broken, but we're talking about the law, we're talking specifically about the practice of law and the legal industry in general. And I don't want to confuse that with like the substantive provisions of the law, which in many cases are also broken. Correct. Um, <laughs> and often as a, uh, you know, from the same root, uh, same tree, different fruit, same root. Uh, <laughs> but here the industry and, and the practice itself, um, traditional law. Um, this is a particular approach to practicing law that I think has remained largely unchanged over the past hundred plus years. Um, and I'd be curious for your thoughts on this as we're going through. Um, but I think what it's largely characterized by is business models that are primarily based on the billable hour. So again, treating people as commodities based on, you know, their output, how many bricks can you make? Mm -hmm. um, subjective compensation structures that are controlled largely by seniority with limited ties to merit, um, at least until you get to a particular point. Um, hierarchy is largely a partner associate dynamic with associate attorneys often viewed as and treated as captive assets to be controlled rather than humans to be cultivated. Um, advancement historically controlled through playing the game and maneuvering um, off through often arbitrary and toxic cultures, typically centered around one-size-fits-all structures with little accommodation for life outside of work or variances in personal priorities. Cultures are largely bureaucratic and political, often creating toxic pressures and environments. The hero of the traditional law firm model is the workaholic, and this ideal is glorified above all else. Overworking is worn as a badge of honor. We've probably all heard the humble brag of, oh, man, I'm so busy. Worked so many hours last month. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should figure out how to make more money working less hours. Like, <laughs> Man, speaking my language. <laughs> um, the image is highly prized, driving both cultural components such as the perception of success and business model realities such as expensive and glamorous offices and competition for top rankings for earnings and compensation. Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion has seldom been authentically valued and often used as a means to an end. Um, wellness has been a willing and necessary f sacrifice on the altar of advancement. Um, I'm curious if you have any thoughts to add to that or... Uh, changes. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, that is that that nails it. I, one of the thoughts I had when you were reading, um, talking about um, the image and, you know, kind of the workaholic brag and, and mm -hmm. you know, um, I think it's even made more complex, um, especially in my experience, not only as our professions continues to diversify, right? 50, I think more women now are going to law school than men. Mm -hmm. um, but we're not seeing that yet reflected um, in law firm partnership. But I mm -hmm. think that's the direction that we're headed. But, you know, it used to be, it's so tough to be a, a working mom, and then also be the workaholic. It, it's mm -hmm. tough to do both. Um, but I'm seeing the same thing, or, or in my experience, had seen really good dads who are completely present, available, and supporting their children mm -hmm. while also being the one who's billing th three billion hours a year. <laughs> and I worry about them, um, all of the people who are managing to do all of those at once, um, their ability to sustain at that level um, because they're not it, – it's not, you know, so, someone is – working while um, someone else is taking care of other things in all situations. Sometimes it's they are present, available parents to their children while also present, available lawyers for their clients. And they're giving 150% in all aspects of their life. And at what point does that 
become too much. And um, it's not just the, you know, I'm the best partner in the world, but now you have to be like an Instagram worthy parent uh, mm-hmm. too. And that's just yeah. a lot. Yeah. No, I think that's a great observation and a great question. Um, and a point I, th- I want to make, and I don't want to lose sight of, because as people have probably noticed and will continue to notice, I'm very hard on the traditional model of law. And I want to separate that from the people that are within the system. Yeah. Um, some of those people have more accountability and responsibility than others, but there are so many wonderful, talented, very good hearted people who are advocating for better law. Uh, and away from the traditional model that are within the traditional model themselves. But being in that model, being a part of it doesn't make them bad people and also doesn't make a firm that's going to largely fit this model doesn't mean that it's checking all of these boxes. Right. But, um, and I don't want to lose sight of that. But but you're right that it creates that added pressure yeah. um, on people. And, and some folks can handle it and some folks can't. But I think that's part of where the danger comes in is that it's, that's the one size fits all model. Right. Um, cause some people, you know, God just equipped them and wired them. That's like, you can handle 85 hours of productivity a week. Yeah. Um, and I resent those people Same. because of the disparity in our capabilities. Yeah. <laughs> I just wasn't built that way. Um, but yeah, yeah. no, I think you're right. I think mm-hmm. the, the downside of that is instead of like you, you said, instead of saying, this is what this person is capable of, but that's not, mm-hmm. this is, you know, how we want to help you be successful. It's well, if they can do it. Right. Everybody should be able to do it. Right. I've like, seen Jordan dunk. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know if you've hey, you seen don't have to me laugh at me that hard, on a Jason. basketball court, but uh, it's just not, we're not the same, yeah. you know? Uh, um, let me, let's cover a couple other key terms. Um, uh, so we've talked about the law and what we mean by that. We've talked about traditional law. Um, then big law, um, mm-hmm. um, big law is a term that gets thrown around a lot. I think a lot of lawyers are familiar with it, but it really refers to the largest law firms in the world. Um, most all of which are part of the traditional law firm models. In fact, I'm not aware of any of them that I would consider to not have, um, not be generally following the, the traditional law model. And I say that based largely off of my assumptions and my limited <laughs> exposure to those. Um, but the two, the two terms, you know, big law and traditional law are closely related because of how closely big law mirrors traditional law. And you see that a lot, I think, illustrated in in stories like Joanna and Gabe's, um, uh, just how much overlap there is. And it's really big law, I think, that drives the perpetuation of the traditional model. Yeah. Because so often this is what other law firms that aren't big law necessarily are competing against or trying to model themselves after or become. They're trying to compete based on competition, uh, based on compensation and prestige and all these other things. And so, you know, they want to walk the, you know, walk what they think the, the line is on that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, often big law is seen as the pinnacle achievement and the gold standard of success in the legal industry. And those who leave big law are often questioned, doubted, or denigrated, um, frequently getting some variation of, I guess they couldn't cut it. Um, rather than like, hey, you found out what really mattered to you and you went for it. That's awesome. Yeah. Like kudos to you. I wish I'd done that sooner. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And uh you know, I see that in particular having a disproportionate impact on women. Yeah. Um, uh, but not just women, anybody who wants to be an active parent. Because to your example earlier, being an active parent is a big commitment. Um, and, uh, you know, putting yourself in a position where, you know, there's no option other than just I have to do all of this all at once. And that's, man, that's, 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 uh, that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I think that we, you know, our brains, we rationalize stuff with ourselves all the time. And I think the legal industry and big law and traditional mm-hmm. law is no different. And I think the we, they couldn't cut it narrative truly stems from if 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 I'm going to keep living this version of life, then mm-hmm. the only, it's the best kind. I have to mm-hmm. tell myself it's the best way to do it. And if somebody's going to go out there and do it live differently, it's just because they couldn't handle doing it the way mm-hmm. that I do. And I think it's... That danger, that narrative is dangerous, um, mm-hmm. and it has been for a long time. And I think, right. um, you know, I, I have no doubt in my mind when I, you know, I ultimately made the choice to leave my very respected law firm and sort of do my own thing and, and go out on my own. People are like, "Well, 
you know, I think she just wanted to be a mom or I think she just wanted to, uh, you know, she just didn't want to work that hard. Um, and I, I do want to be a mom. That is something I'm quite, I'm proud of being. Um, and I would like to work less and make more money. Um, so I don't think those are exclusive, right? Right. Um, and, but I think that if we, if we frame it that way, um, it can be dangerous and, and it makes it hard for people to, to be brave and go out on their own for sure. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And we'll get into those topics more on the next couple of episodes because um, they're so critical. Yeah. They're so critical. Um, uh, better law. Um, trademark pending. Uh, not yet, <laughs> but if anybody files before me, I'll be very upset. Um uh, better law. I'm going to use this as a term throughout the course of this podcast to describe a new way of doing law that primarily breaks free from the tra- from traditional law in terms of both business model and culture. Um, and I think as we go throughout the podcast, we'll start to put more more depth uh, and more layers on that. Um, it's not just enough to say, well, whatever the traditional law is, it's the opposite of that. Although that's probably a pretty good starting place. <laughs> Um, when, when we use the term, the law is breaking people, um, we use that in the sense of talking about how the law as an industry harms its stakeholders directly in avoidable ways. We've talked about, you know, not just Gabe and the impact on Gabe, um, but also on Joanna, right? Um, and, and there's just such a heavy moral component to the decisions we make to continue our business models and our cultures. Um, but that's what we mean when saying that the law is breaking people. Um, when we say that the law is broken, um, talking specifically about how traditional law um, is broken in ways that cause the breaking of those that are impacted by the legal industry. Um and when we talk about breaking free from the law, this is where we really want to get into hope and action. Uh, these are the actions that are being taken to break away from the traditional model and towards better law. Um, and then well-being. Um, this shamelessly stolen from the well-being report. Um, a continuous process toward thriving across all life dimensions. I just love the way they they capture that. Um We'll talk in future episodes um, in more detail about, you know, what causes the brokenness of, you know, the traditional law. But to tee it up just a little bit, um, I think two that we'll get into more depth on in particular is the discussion of business model versus the stated culture of a firm. I've never talked to a law firm that looks you in the eye when they're trying to get you to come join the dark side or the light side or whatever um, and says, we're going to work you to death and um, we're going to alienate you from your closest relationships. We're going to make you feel an overwhelming sense of shame and pressure and guilt um, if you don't conform to exactly what we're looking for. Um, And if you succeed Um, you will earn the right to do more work and carry more stress and more guilt and pressure um, and possibly make enough money to pay for all the things that you will break getting to that point. Um, What you'll hear instead is what everyone wants to believe about themselves, which is we're great for family. Yeah. We really believe in wellness. We care about your mental health. Mm -hmm. We believe in work-life balance. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, And we've designed our work in a way that is supposed to facilitate your well-being and your thriving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to talk a lot about that. You know, how does the business model fit with what people say about their culture? And then also the difference between what people say about their culture versus what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, And for folks that are looking at firms and considering what their next steps might be or trying to look introspectively at where their firm is at and where it could be, you know, maybe some questions to ask and some things to really wrestle with of like, hey, this is what we say. Like, this is what we sell people. Mm -hmm. Would somebody sue us for fraud? <laughs> right. Like, Is everything we said in that interview with that potential candidate true? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> why, why, don't you, why don't you take a, take a moment or two and, and 
close us out on a more optimistic and a hopeful note now that I've burned the love of a lot of everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, some important distinctions, I think, again, um, when Sam says breaking free from the law, um, I had to clarify, it does, he doesn't mean breaking the law, apparently. So um, there's no right. encouragement here to just, you know, go out and break the law. Um, but um, there, it is not all bad news out there in the world of mm -hmm. the law um, and the legal industry. And um, I think uh, that it's worth talking about and, and going through. So um, there is movement um, to break free from the traditional approach of the practice of law. Um, there is, I mean, even just by looking at the lawyer well-being report and mm -hmm. the fact that it exists yeah. uh, is a step in the right direction. Um, you could probably go to any big law website mm -hmm. and do a search on whether they have a wellness committee or mm -hmm. a mental health committee or mm -hmm. whether what they're doing to support their lawyers for mental health and they are all doing something. Yes, um, the which is progress. Yeah, the effectiveness mm -hmm. of that, um, I think by the statistics from last year, maybe uh, there's room for improvement mm -hmm. on the effectiveness of that. And um, kind of like you mentioned, um, you know, that, that traditional approach to law uh, has its boundaries on on the impact of of what a mental health committee might be able to do. But um, you know, there's a Kansas task force for lawyer well-being, um, and I remember specifically um, when I started practicing law, I went to a CLE. And I think that was put on by something similar, whether it's not the same group, it's a group that's been adopted by that. And it truly was, I, I felt in that as a baby lawyer, like, um, hey, you're going to have to look after yourself here in this industry. You're going to mm -hmm. have to check in on yourself. Um, and I think there's been growth in those types of trainings um, and those types of resources available for lawyers, mm -hmm. um, which I think is important. Um, there are new law firms that are yeah. doing it differently. New options. <laughs> <laughs> there um, are, yeah, things that are available that um, are not traditional or dare I say, flexible um, <laughs> and the ability to um, think through what the value is that's being offered and what the needs are of the clients. Because, you know, like you said, it's not just the attorneys that are impacted. It's not just the people who are supporting mm -hmm. attorneys that are impacted, but it's the clients that we serve that um, are not as well served if we approach everything the same way. Um, and, and if we can't be creative and thoughtful. So new law firms, new law firm models, uh, I think those steps in the right direction. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very encouraged, very optimistic. There's so many people that want better law than what is currently out there. Um, and they're starting to make moves and they're starting to feel more comfortable. I, th I truly believe that we're at a really important time. Yeah. Um, and um, it's an exciting time, but it's a fragile time. Yes. And, um, it'll be really interesting to see what kind of conversations we're having in the next five years on this subject. I think you're totally right. I think, um, there is no way for things not to change. I mm -hmm. think things have to change. Um, I, and I think I will be curious to see what brings about the change the fastest, whether mm -hmm. it's lawyer human driven or client human driven, who's, mm -hmm. who's sort of making it move um, as fast. But mm -hmm. um, I think you're totally right. I think it's about to get interesting for sure as we nerd out over the law. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, if you're not a law nerd by the time you start listening to this, if you stick with it long enough, you will have no other option than to have become a law nerd. And there's a chance we'll do a law nerd t-shirt giveaway. No promises, but be on the lookout for that. I love it. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, I think in closing, um, I... Uh, thought it would be cool if we could share some key points, some practical tips or challenges um, that anyone can do to sort of help break the law in the way that we've talked about today. Um, and if you're cool with it, I'll go first. Yeah, please um, do. And mine is, I had mentioned early um, in my introduction that I'm a recovering um, rule follower. 
and um, like to a T. I mean, breaking rules was not my thing. It gave me severe anxiety. I didn't even like to pull through parking spots and parking lots because I didn't want to be parked the wrong way in the parking lot. So really had a lot of work to do. Um, But one, a piece of advice that I got um, very early on is if you want to make a difference or you want your life to look different, you have to get comfortable breaking rules that somebody else set for you. Mm. Um, And I thought, okay, well, that sounds nice in theory. Um, But truly... What I learned um, that I thought was helpful is um, I identified what my day looked like. I identified the pieces of my day that served me, served the priorities of mine that I had set. And if those priorities were, you know, working a billion hours and making a billion dollars a year, then that's fine. But um, I identified my priorities. I looked at what my life, um, what was serving me. Um, and then I found all of the things that didn't serve me or that weren't meeting my goal or were getting in the way of me. Um, being though, and if those were rules that somebody else set for me, I had to get comfortable breaking them. And uh, you have to get comfortable in a space uh, that is uncomfortable. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good, um, but it takes some courage and some bravery. Um, so my tip would be to really uh, explore and believe in yourself that uh, you can break the rules that somebody else set for you uh, to bring mm. your most authentic self to your life. Because, man, it sucks living somebody else's life. <laughs> Man, well put. Well put, <laughs> Thank Ashlyn. Thank you. Yeah. I think for me, key point um, or key encouragement for folks today is to remember that you are stronger than you know. It can be really overwhelming to look at the challenge that we face either in our personal lives in the law um, or that our firm might um, face. If you're looking at, hey, how do I change my firm? This feels way too big way too big for me, or you're married to somebody that's in the law, or you're both married to the law. (laughs) Um, My husband would say that I was once married to the law. There's a term called work widow or work widow, or we'll we'll have an entire episode on that at some point. Um, But I really want to encourage you and challenge you that you are stronger than you know. And more than that, you were made for this moment. The challenge that we face, the challenges that we face are overwhelming. Um, But together we are equal to this task. Take five minutes today and write down one or two of the remarkable, impossible, crazy, unbelievable things that have happened to you or that you have achieved or seen in your life. Um, And you're still here. And those are all part of your story. We've talked about a lot of statistics. There's a lot of stories that are reflected in those statistics. But I want to remind you that you are made for this and that you are stronger than you know. Thank you for joining us for this first episode of Breaking the Law. Really excited to share this journey with you as we talk more about how the law is breaking people because the traditional approach to law is broken. And we hope you'll join us in Breaking the Law. Please join us on our next few episodes as we go in more depth on each of these individual topics, and we'll be joined by a couple of guests, Danielle Hall from the Kansas Lawyers Assistance Program uh, and Janet Thompson-Jackson, founder of Well Law. Thank you all, and have a wonderful, wonderful day.